Good evening. It's good to see everyone here this evening, the day after Christmas. Uh, we're going to start with Heaven Came Down. I, I picked a lot of old songs, so we ought to be able to sing out just as loud as we want to today. <clears throat> Let us sing. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Jesus is coming soon. After this song, we'll have our opening prayer. <clears throat> Let us sing. Troublesome times on our here, feeling men's hearts Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings in life you've given us, and especially, Heavenly Father, that we're physically able to be and to gather and worship thee tonight. We pray, Heavenly Father, the things that are said 
and done here in accordance with thy will, and be with him as he presents the message to us, that he has a ready recollection of the things that he's prepared. We thank the Heavenly Father for this country that we live in and the ability that we are able to assemble together unmolested at this time, and pray that we be able to continue to do so in the future. Heavenly Father, be with those that are, have been mentioned or in our bulletin that need thy physical blessings and be with them and restore them to thy health if it be thy will. Be with those, Heavenly Father, that are struggling at this time. It's a difficult season for some as they have lost many loved ones this past year. Be with them and comfort them and let us all do the we best we can for them. Continue to be with us, Heavenly Father, as we depart this place and bring us back the next appointed time safely if it be thy will. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings that we, you have bestowed upon us. Forgive us of our sins, and it's Christ's blessed name we pray. Amen. Jesus, hold my hand. If you'd like to, you may stand. This will be the song before the scripture reading and the lesson. Let us sing. As I travel through this pilgrim's land, there's a friend who walks with me. Leads me safe through the sinking sand is the Christ of Calvary. This will be my friend Lord each day to help me do the best I can. For I Be seated. The scripture this evening is Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 8. Matthew 13, verses 3 through 8. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprung up, and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. 
Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Good evening. We have uh, a pretty good number considering it's the day after Christmas. Um, and I know we have a lot on the road traveling, but I'm glad that you're here with us. I know we have a lot that are also with us on uh, Facebook and YouTube and our other streaming platforms. And we're, we're glad for you uh, to be with us, too. Um, I wasn't able to be here this morning. I was with uh, some of our friends at the Watauga Square Apartments for uh, just a little bit this morning. Um, but I heard Danny did a good job. In fact, uh, a lot of you have said, hey... Danny did a really good job, and it was short, and <laughs> and so uh, I think maybe they're trying to you're trying to give me a hint tonight. So I promise to get you out by nine thirty tonight. And uh, <laughs> well, welcome to the first day after Christmas. If no one's formally welcomed you to that already, I hope that you had a great Christmas with your, with your loved ones or, or with whoever you spent Christmas with, hopefully people you love that you spent Christmas with. Um, I love Christmas. We had a great Christmas. The, the whole holiday leading up to, to Christmas Day, I was able to trick Amanda for the 15th year in a row into going with me to the Speedway and Lights at Bristol. She, she doesn't like it, but I love it. And they have not changed those uh, light displays in 20 years, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's, I love it. I love going there and seeing them, uh, seeing the lights. We had great time with, uh, some family on Christmas Eve. And then of course, uh, yesterday, the big blowout with all the presents and watching the kids unwrap everything that they've been asking for and things they haven't been asking for. And, and, uh, what a, what a great time Christmas is. I love this time of year every year. Um, but without, I guess, at the risk of, of sounding like the Grinch, there is something about Christmas that I won't um, miss once this holiday season is over. And if you live in Johnson City, um, you probably won't miss this either. And it is that for the last six weeks, the traffic on Roan Street around the mall and the traffic on State of Franklin and by the uh, Hamilton Place and by the uh, Old Navy and Walmart and all those shopping centers has been insane. And I know some of you are going to lecture me about uh, traffic in Atlanta or Nashville or other big cities. And I know, I, I've, I lived in Nashville, I go to Atlanta a lot. Their traffic is worse. You know, East Tennessee can't hold a candle to their traffic. But... Johnson City is such a nice, peaceful town, and for six weeks out of the year, our traffic is exponentially worse, <laughs> and, uh, and not, is it, not only is it more, but uh, the traffic is angrier, isn't it? It just seems like everybody is just in that holiday spirit of yelling at people and getting angry <laughs> about being the first one into the mall, and uh, and, and so while I'm happy and, and glad that in a few days we won't hopefully have to, to deal with that traffic anymore, I know that that traffic's going to hang around for a few more days. Um, because when, when Christmas is over, it doesn't mean the end of people going to all these stores, right? Some people for Christmas, they got, they got gift cards, and they're going to trek their way all the way back to Johnson City to go to the mall or go to wherever it was they got that gift card for. And they're going to use that gift card. And, and some people are, are coming back for, for all kinds of reasons. But there's one reason in particular I want to talk about tonight that people are going to be coming back. And that reason, Oracle did a survey in 2017 and said 77% of Americans who receive a Christmas present uh, will take at least some of their Christmas presents back. They'll return them. The National Retail Federation said last year, almost 14% of all Christmas gifts given were returned. They were returned. I, I remember when I was a teenager, uh, at the Walmart in Exit 7 in Bristol, they would make these huge maze lines out of 
you know, cases of Coke and cases of beer and, and buggies and whatever to, to guide people to where to take your, your returns because so many people would bring back so many things that were purchased just a few days earlier. And we're probably all guilty of returning a present in our lifetime. And there's, there's for the most part, really no shame in that. Gifts are returned for a lot of reasons, right? Um, maybe, maybe you got something and it didn't fit. Maybe you um, got something, you opened it up, you're really excited to get it, and it didn't work, or it was damaged right out of the box. You couldn't use it, you had to return it. Um, maybe the gift wasn't the right color, or maybe you got two of the same gift and you didn't need both of them. So there's all kinds of reasons that the day after Christmas, the stores are flooded with returns and exchanges. But what about a person who receives a gift on Christmas and immediately returns it to the person that gave it to him? Think about a father who would give his child a gift and say, uh, here you go, I, I know this is something that, that you've been needing. I know this is something that, that you can use. This is going to make your life better. You've been needing it for a long time. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, it was, it was kind of a sacrifice to be able to get this for you. But because I love you so much, I want you to have this gift. And I give you this gift with all of my heart and all of my love. And the child barely, barely breaks attention to say, no thanks. And the father says, no, 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 you don't understand. I want you to have this. I don't want you to feel guilty about the cost. I really love you and you're worth it. And the child says, I, I won't take it. The father says, this is a gift you need. I beg of you, please accept this gift. And the child says, listen, I don't want your gift. I don't want anything to do with your gift. I refuse to accept it. I don't want your gift because it came from you. As a father, that would break my heart. If one of my children ever decided that they just didn't want a gift that I gave them. Yesterday, most of us celebrated Christmas and exchanged presents with people we love. And some of those presents may get returned in the days to come. But in this season, in this season where uh, many people claim Jesus to be the reason, I think it's good for us to be reminded that he's more than a reason. In fact, he is the ultimate gift and as recipients of that gift, the question for each of us is, what will we do with that gift? Will we treasure that sacrifice of God's only son, cling to the, the precious blood that was so violently poured out for all of us? Will we realize that we literally cannot live without this gift? Maybe this will be a gift that becomes a Forgotten memory of, of a good day might say, oh, you know, I remember spending time. I remember spending time at, at church with my family. Those are some nice people. Those are some good times. I don't have much use for that anymore. Maybe there will be people who lose this gift in the shuffle of a busy life. I really need to get around to using that gift that gift that God gave me, I really need to get around to using it. But man, I'm so busy these days, I just don't have the time. Maybe it's going to be that gift that just doesn't fit for some people. Christianity isn't going to jive with my lifestyle. I know what the Bible says about certain things, and that's, that's not going to fit. That's not going to fit with my own personal beliefs and, and my own personal values. Uh, I, I don't want it. I don't need it. And maybe it'll be that precious gift given from the heart of God with all love and desire to have that relationship with his child. But the gift is rejected because we want nothing to do with it.
Keep your gift. I don't need it. I don't want it. I refuse to accept it. Sadly, there's many in our world who don't understand how valuable a gift that they've been given. In 1992, a woman from Costa Mesa, California, her name was Terry Horton. She went to a, a thrift shop and she bought uh, what she thought was going to be a gag gift for one of her friends. It was a $5 painting in the, in the thrift shop, shop and she took it to her friend's house. It was too big to get in the front door of her friend's house, so she ended up taking it back to her own home, tossing it in the garage, and it stayed there for a few years until she was having a yard sale, saw it, and said, you know what, maybe I can get my $5 back out of this painting. So she set it up in her front yard, and that's when an art teacher from the local high school saw that painting, recognized it, and helped Terry Horton to understand that what she had sitting in her front yard with a $5 price tag on it was an original Jackson Pollock piece of art that was valued at more than $9 million. And you know, I would have made the same, I would have made the same mistake. <laughs> I, I, uh, um, we have some beautiful art in our home that, that Amanda's sister has done. And, um, uh, but outside of, of Melanie and a couple of artists that I probably have already forgotten about that I learned in college, um, I, I would have no idea what I was looking at right? And that's why for Terry Horton, it was so good that someone was willing to explain to her what an important treasure that she had. And it makes me think about Acts chapter 8. And if you want to go to Acts chapter 8, we're going to be there in, start in verse 26. In Acts chapter 28, or excuse me, 8 verse 26, it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip says, Do you, do you understand? Philip hears him reading the prophet Isaiah. He said, do you, under, do you understand this? Do you understand how important this is? Do you understand how awesome this is, what you're reading? That, that this is the most important thing that you will ever read? Do you understand that, that what you're reading is a gift that's going to change your life eternally? Do you understand that you're about to find the greatest gift, the greatest treasure that man has ever known? And the Ethiopian says, how, how can I understand this unless someone helps me to understand? You know, I'm looking at a Jackson Pollock right here, and it, and it might as well be a Michael Jackson for all I know. I, I'm not sure what I'm looking at. I need some help. I need, I need some help to understand. So in verse 35, it said, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip says, today's your lucky day, man, because I can explain this to you, and I have good news for you. I've got great things to tell you. And two verses later, we see that the Ethiopian understood that gift and he put Christ on in baptism. We learn from Acts 8 that there are people in the world who will not understand that precious gift unless someone guides them. And for many people in the world, and this is the challenge for us, that someone who guides them is going to have to be us. You are that someone. It's our job to tell people about the good news, the good news of Jesus, the ultimate gift. Our job is to tell as many people as we can and to help them to understand about this beautiful gift that's been given to us. And I will be the first to admit that that can be tough sometimes because uh, I love and appreciate that gift so much, 
But man, some days it's hard enough for me to remember and to understand it myself. And sometimes it's hard enough for me to, to, to be able to, to, to fight the temptation. And sometimes I lose that fight. And, and being able to teach my children and, and lead my family, man, can't some other people just figure this thing out on their own? And then I remember that for all of us in here, someone helped us understand. Maybe it was our parents, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a friend, but someone helped us understand. Someone helped us to understand how great that gift was. And if it wasn't for people like that, we may not be here today. And so it's important that we continue to fulfill that, that commission given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 when he told the disciples, go and make disciples uh, of all nations and teach them to observe all things that Jesus commanded. It may be that for someone, we are the only Bible that they will ever read. And that's a big responsibility to take on. But even if you're able to deliver that saving message of the gift of Jesus and you can do it in the most eloquent and persuasive and practical way, there are still going to be people who don't want to accept the gift. And I think that's the message of the parable that Jesus delivers in Matthew chapter 13 that, that Andrew read for us just a moment ago. Um, if you want to uh, start there in verse 3 with me, it says, A sower went out to sow. In verse 4, As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. No matter where it lands, we keep spreading the seed. And Jesus understands that some people won't want the gift for different reasons. Verse 19, when, when anyone, uh, we, we starts going into the explanation of, of what the earlier part of the parable means. Verse 19 says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, that kind of makes us freeze for a second because didn't we just read about an Ethiopian who didn't understand what happens when it falls on soil it doesn't understand? I think it's our job to help them understand. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. When I read that verse, I realize, man, it is so important that we get to those people who don't understand. And it doesn't take a lot of looking to realize that we live in a world with a lot of people who don't understand. Who, who maybe know a little bit, but they don't understand. And when I look at that verse again, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. I realize that this, there's an extra level of urgency here because we're in a race. We're in a race to reach the ones who don't understand that gift before the evil one gets to them and snatches it out of their heart. We have to get to people and we have to get to them fast and help them understand because Satan's trying to get there first. Jesus goes on to say in verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. And maybe, that's, maybe that describes us sometimes. So on fire for Christ, so thankful for that gift, uh, so desperate for salvation, uh, and, and so glad that all those terrible sins in our life have been washed away um, so that we could have that relationship with God. But then over time, the fire started to grow weaker because life happens and bad things happen, and we struggle, and we're tempted, and that fire starts to wither and get weaker. And we've got a personal responsibility to try to keep our own fires burning as bright as they can, but I think that there's an added 
responsibility there too to where we see brothers and sisters going through things that are starting to weaken their fire, that we start fanning that flame for them, that we do what we can and pray and hold their hand and be with them and, and throw a log on that fire for them to keep their fire burning bright. It's a lot easier to keep a fire going than it is to start a brand new fire. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Jesus is saying in this parable, we can't know What's going to happen when we tell people about this gift that the Father offers to the world? And some people are going to get rid of it. And some people are going to keep it for a little while and they're going to throw it away. But then there's people who will treasure it. And, and they're going to tell a hundred more people. And we've got to tell them all. Because we don't know. We don't know who's, who's going to be the one that's going to, uh, that's going to bear all the fruit and we don't know who the one that maybe someone else down the road is going to help them to understand later. We just have to keep spreading the word. There's all kinds of reasons that people don't want to accept God's, God's gift. Um, in Acts 24, Acts 24, Paul is pleading his case, and he is able to plead his case before the governor, Felix. And in verse 22 of, of Acts 24, we're told that Felix has an accurate understanding of the church. And I think that's pretty important that, that we know that, that Felix has that accurate understanding. Because Paul's accusers either don't have an accurate understanding of the church, or they do and are, are tainting it because of their own selfish motives. But Felix has an accurate understanding of the church. And because of this accurate understanding of the church he immediately starts treating Paul a little bit differently. Paul gets a little more liberty uh, as a prisoner than he, had had, than he had been used to. We know that Felix's wife, Drusilla, was a Jew, and perhaps this is why they had more of an interest in what Paul was having to say. And so they called uh, for Paul in verse 24 of Acts 24. It says, He sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned, that word reason, help him to understand as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. The King James Version says, in a convenient time. Felix did not accept the gift that he was hearing about because it wasn't convenient for him. And what we know about Felix, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been convenient for Felix to accept that. He was a, an officer of the Roman government. He was a, a governor. And uh, he had descended from royalty. And he would have to give up so much to accept this gift. Um, he had money and power and, and influence and heritage. And not a single one of those things could save his soul. Felix was so poor all he had was his money, power, influence, heritage. We're blessed in the United States. Um, when I looked around yesterday morning at the post-Christmas carnage in my living room, it was an embarrassment of, of riches that God has given us. But a lot of times that blessing can be more of a curse, can it? that blessing of, of everything we've been given can start to cloud our vision and make us think, man, I need more. I need, I need better. I need to do better. I need to, to be better. I need to look better. And I need, to, I need for people to know that I am better. And I am willing to sacrifice anything to make that happen. And a lot of times, it's not convenient for us to accept that gift. But we look at Felix in Acts chapter 24 and we say, Felix, how could you do that, man? That, that, that gift, it was right there. You, you know, what a, what a beautiful story you could have been and an example that you could have been to so many in Roman politics. You might have been able to change the, help, help to change the dynamic of what the church was going through in the first century. Um, how could you pass up that opportunity? 
But at the same time, we can justify missing opportunities to take advantage of that gift ourselves, can't we? I can. Missing opportunities to, to help others or to study or, or to pray because it just isn't convenient sometimes. Near the end of Luke 15, uh, we read about the parable of the lost son. But near the end of that, we see it's actually the older son that's now refusing the father's gift. Most of you know the parable of the lost son. The, young, the younger son goes out. He tells his father that he wants all of his inheritance now, and he goes out and he wastes it. And when he finds himself totally broken, wanting to eat food that he was feeding the pigs, he decides, I'm going to go back and offer to be a servant in my father's house. At least I'll be able to, 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 to eat that way. So the father takes him back in and, and, and receives him as a son and, and gives him all the things that he had, he had left behind when he left the house. But then in verse 28, we find the older son. He was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. I don't want the gift if it's the same gift that he gets. I don't want to go to church with that person who I know is a hypocrite. I don't want the gift if the same gift is given for those on the nice list to those on the naughty list. I don't want your gift. And we look at the older brother and we say, don't you know, older brother, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fallen short of that glory. We're all hypocrites, we're all sinners, we're all broken, we're all the younger son at some point in our life, and we all need that reconciliation with the Father. And our gift for that sin, our wages, they're not pretty. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And that's not a threat, by the way. God isn't this angry taskmaster who's waiting to kill us for sinning. We make a choice. Do we want to live in harmony with with ultimate goodness, with the creator of love and life. If we choose a life of sin, God, God can't be near. He would prefer to be with us, but goodness and sin cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Uh, light and darkness can't occupy the same space at the same time. He wants to be with us, but those two cannot coexist, so the wages of sin is death. Is that we're not able to live with goodness incarnate. And that's what makes the rest of that verse so abundantly important. Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That gift, that ultimate precious gift that is Jesus. The gift that allows us to have a relationship again with the Father. Jesus is more than a reason. He is the gift. The gift that we should never consider returning. I remember several years ago, um, I had the flu, and that was not a fun experience. But uh, as a precaution, Amanda and the kids were put on Tamiflu to try to guard them from getting the flu. And Tamiflu uh, is not cheap. Uh, if you're buying it for four or five people, it, it's pretty expensive, actually. And I remember paying a lot of money for this medicine. And one of my children, and I'll, I'll not name them to protect the innocent here, uh, but they were adamant that they were not going to take that medicine. <laughs> and I remember trying to reason with my child, you don't understand. You need this medicine. This medicine is going to protect you from getting sick. This is, this is what you, you, you want this. You just don't know you want it. You want this more than you know. And I remember them saying, no, I don't care. I don't want it. I do not want that. And my child didn't understand that that medicine would bring them healing, that that medicine would protect them from some awful virus and, and that, that could really make them feel bad for a long time. 
we were eventually able to make our child take the medicine. But God doesn't force anything on us. We're children, and a lot of times we don't understand. And a lot of times we think that shiny thing is more important than his gift that he's giving us. And the Father says, this is a gift that you need And I beg you to accept this gift. This gift will will bring salvation and healing and acceptance and all the things in life that you're really looking for, that's what this gift brings. And we, the child, the unknowing child, say, I don't want your gift. I refuse to accept it. I, I don't want it. I don't want it. And the beautiful thing about God, the Father, is that he says, okay, I can't force you to take it, but I'm going to wait for you. And no matter how far you run from me, I'll always be here waiting with your gift. Tonight we have an opportunity to accept that gift. Maybe for the first time, if you've never given your life to God through faith, repenting of your sins, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, and allowing you to baptize, allowing someone to baptize you in the blood of Christ to wash away your sins, don't, don't let that gift pass you by. Maybe you need help understanding, and we want to help you. Uh, let someone here know. Let me know. We would love to help you to understand and share with you uh, more in depth about this wonderful, beautiful gift and what it means. And maybe you've been a follower of Christ and you've accepted that beautiful gift, but lately tribulation and persecution and life is starting to weaken that fire. And maybe you need brothers and sisters to help you fan your flame a little bit. Maybe you need us to pray with you. Maybe you need us to pray for you. Whatever your need may be, please come as together we stand and sing. There's a fountain free kiss for you and me. Let us taste no taste to its free. Is a fountain from the source of love, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? If you are unable to take the Lord's Supper this morning, it will be offered at this opportunity, and we'll sing the first and last verses of Low in the Grave, uh, He Lay, and to try to focus our minds on the Lord's God's great gift to the Lord coming and dying for us. Let us sing.
The Lord's Supper has been prepared for those that have not had a chance to take it. If you would, go ahead and tear off the top. And bow with me, please. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings you have given us. Father, thank you for this bread that represents your son's body that was broken at Calvary for our sins. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and prepare your cup. Pray with me again. Father, as we continue your prayer, we ask you to bless this cup that was shed for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Father, be with each of us as we take the, this cup. May we do it in remembrance of your son. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. This time is set aside for giving. The elders have made certain ways of either, if you're here in the building, the baskets in the back or given to the, directly to the office or online. Let's pray for the gift. Father, thank you so much for our abilities to earn money, for our jobs, for different ways that we do earn money for our gifts. Father, bless this gift that's given of the heart. And may we do it in a well-pleasing manner. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. It's good to be together this evening. The singing has really been good. It's a lot of our old favorites. I'm going to end with a favorite as well. Just a little talk with Jesus. And then we'll have our closing prayer and any announcements that we might have. Let's all stand together as we sing this song. Let us sing. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, and then the light from heaven filled my soul. Let's all go to our Father in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful warm day that you have given us. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful day today because we come together 
as a church family and worship you and learn more about you and, and pray to you, Father. And we're so thankful that we can worship freely here. Father, we thank you for two valuable lessons from Tim and, and Danny. Let us take those to heart. And as we go out our separate ways into the world, help us to be beacons. Help us to gain knowledge from your word, spread it throughout the world, and help bring others to you. Father, we pray for those who are, are hurting. We know you can help them and help us to, to be a help to them also. Father, we thank you so much for your son who died a death on the cross that he didn't deserve. We did, but he did it for us, and we are so thankful for that. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are no other announcements. We're dismissed.